This morning we're starting a, a new series, an Advent series that we're going to be in straight through until the 23rd of December. And we're calling this, O Come Let Us Adore Him. And we're looking at the first part of the, well, we're looking at the Christmas story as told through Luke's gospel in the Bible. But we're, as we do it, we're really looking at the theme of adoration, like coming and adoring Christ. And uh, I know for me myself, it can be easy to kind of go through Christmas and just kind of get caught up in the traditions and, and everything is nice about it. And, and that's all wonderful. Uh, but it's important this time of year that we actually stop and really consider this story, really consider what is going on here. And I want to share a few more thoughts on that in a few minutes. But for right now, I, I want to ask you a question. And it's going to be a bit of a strange question, but I mean it genuinely. I want to ask you this. I want to ask you, what do you think about angels? Like, what do you think about angels? Because around Christmas time, and we go through the Christmas story, we hear different things in the Christmas story as told in the Bible, and, and it's a bit peculiar. It's a bit weird. And I think angels would kind of fit into that category. There would be some other things as well, like, like a, a star guiding people to a town and a virgin birth, which is a little bit strange. If you don't know why that's strange, you need to speak to your parents before you speak to me. But a virgin birth is a very peculiar thing, okay? It doesn't happen. And angels, you know, there are things in the Christmas story that are just strange, that are just a little bit weird. Well, let me, if I may, let me, I want to start by telling you a story of my own. Uh, when I was younger, when I was growing up, my mother had epilepsy. And uh, those who have epilepsy often will have epileptic seizures. And they can be uh, a whole range of things. W- one type of seizure can be quite violent where there's a lot of shaking. Fortunately, my, my mother didn't experience those. She experienced something called absence seizures, which is basically like a loss of, of consciousness. I remember my sister and I, uh, when I was really young, my sister and I would say, oh, mom has spaced out. Like she spaced out. Like that's literally what it was like. I have memories of her being in the kitchen and, and, and kind of helping us get ready or doing something and just standing there and just looking really blankly, like quite spaced out and, and, and being in an absence seizure at that moment. And they usually wouldn't last long, you know, maybe, maybe a minute, maybe two or three. Um, and then it would end. And I remember again, my sister and I saying things like, oh, mom has snapped out of it. We were just putting language to things that we didn't understand. We didn't really know what was going on. Anyway, this is something that I was quite used to growing up. And uh, I remember one day my mom um, driving me home from school and the city that I grew up in, which is Fredericton out in New Brunswick. um, If you've ever been to Fredericton, you know that Fredericton is kind of split in half by the St. John River. And in Fredericton is a very wide river at that point. And uh, my mom was driving the car, and I remember we were going up the on-ramp onto one of the two bridges in the city that crossed that river. And the Princess Margaret Bridge is a tall bridge, and it is a narrow bridge. It's as straight as an arrow, and it goes across the river. We were on the on-ramp, and on the on-ramp, while my mother was driving, she went into an absence seizure. Now, I remember thinking at that time, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I'd probably guess around 12. But I remember thinking, this is not good. Because every other time my mom had gone into one of those seizures, she would, whatever she was doing would just stop. Like it would just completely stop and she would be still. And she at this time was driving a car and we're driving it and we're on the on-ramp just about to go onto this bridge. And she goes into one of these seizures and I remember thinking, this is not good. Mom, mom, snap out of it. I'm using that language of my sister and I snap out of it, snap out of it. And she's not responding to me. But the most incredible thing happened. She continued to drive the car. 
And not only did she continue to drive the car, she drove the car perfectly. Like, it, it, was, it was like she was like, do you, those of you that drive, you, you remember when you took your driving test, you're like 10 and 2, stop fully, check everything once, twice, go, check your mirror, the whole thing. My mom drove like that, like flawlessly across this bridge. Strangely, one of the things I remember the most is her actually signaling to come off the bridge, coming down the off-ramp, and then the few turns that would weave up the river valley to get to our house. We pulled into the driveway of the house, and she put the car in park, didn't turn it off. I ran in the house to get my dad. Dad, come out. Mom spaced out. She's been driving the car. Dad came out, turned the car off, and sat with her there until she came out of this. When she came out of it, she didn't have any idea how she got in the driveway, how we had gotten home. She was quite shaken because she knew what driving and having a seizure could do. And somehow, we were absolutely fine. So I want to ask you again, what do you think about angels? Because I want to tell you what I think. I think, I don't know for certain, but I think that day that God sent an angel that I didn't see that was in that car and that either took control of my mom's hands or feet or drove the car or something and protected us that day because there is no other explanation that I can give. I know that God intervened. And one way that we know through Scripture that God sometimes will choose to intervene is by the sending of an angel. Now, that's a personal story for me. There are probably different responses in this room right now as to what, uh, you know, you might, you might be thinking about that story. Some of you might be thinking, well, that's, that's a pretty incredible story. But there must, there must be some other type of explanation for it. It can't be that. It can't be something supernatural. It can't be something angelic. It can't be something of God. They're just, I don't know, maybe it was just in that moment a different type of seizure. Something else was going on. Others of you might be thinking, well, no, I, I believe that that could be the case. Believe that God, if he wanted to in that moment, could have sent an angel. And Rich, that, that very well could be exactly what happened. But I suspect, if we're being honest, around this room, around our city and beyond, often the way that we would respond to these things would be a little bit of a hybrid. We can actually be quite spiritual hybrids. When there's a tragedy, when there's a story, when there's an emergency, we can be quite quick to acknowledge some sort of reference Maybe not so far as a belief, but a reference to the supernatural, a reference to the possibility. You know, all of us have been online and we see after a tragic event, tragic event, we see people sending their thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts of sending you thoughts and prayers, sending you thoughts and prayers. And then, and after a tragic event, people feel it very appropriate to do that. But often when that is not the case, when it serves us more to actually deny anything of the supernatural, to deny that it exists, then that suits us in those times. We can, culturally, we can be spiritual hybrids when it comes to this, and we actually take our positions not based on what may or may not be the truth, but based on what we need in that moment. Now, with that said, I want to ask you, as we approach the Christmas story this morning, and we're going to be in this for a few weeks as a church. As we do this, is your mind already made up? Like, what, 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 what is this like? What's it get, this year, this year, here we are, it's December 2nd. What's it going to be like for you this year? 
You know, we're going we're to have our holiday traditions. We're going to listen to Michael Buble because we have to. We're going to go to the Christmas parties. I like Michael Buble uh, some, sometimes. Um, we're going to have nice food. We're going to have nice drinks. We're going to sing carols. We're going to go through all of this stuff. And a lot of it is going to be based on the story that we read about in the Bible, the first part of which we're going to be looking at this morning. But what have you already decided as you approach it this year? Have you decided, well, this is nice. This is my annual traditions. These are really lovely. Make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. This is nice. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It looks really, really pleasant. Or are you approaching it going, I, this is true. Like, this happened. And that's nuts. Like, that is crazy. And if true, this changes everything. Like, not just for a few days in December, but for all of life. And not only for all of life, but for all of eternity. So I want to ask each of us, and I'm not just speaking right now to those in the room that would say they're not Christians. Maybe you're here and you're just checking this out. You've had no experience of church or of faith, or you've not heard much about Jesus Christ. Please hear this as well. But also for the Christians in the room, we are just acceptable to, to going through the motions of Christmas, to going through all of the traditions. And there's nothing wrong with that in itself, but sometimes we can do it in a way that is completely absent from the gospel. It's completely absent from the truth of who Jesus is, And what he has done. So church, guest, if I may, I want to ask all of us, let's approach this humbly. Let's approach the Christmas story, not just as a, well, I go to church every once in a while and we should probably do some preaching about the Christmas story. No, let's approach this recognizing that this is in the word of God. And it wasn't written in there just so that we could have an annual kind of nice feelings and everything that that kind of comes with Christmas. As great as that is, it was written in here because this is truth about God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Let's let this shape us, even this Christmas. Let's approach it with fresh eyes, even this Christmas. And I say that to you if you're the person in the room this morning who has been in a relationship with God for the longest time. Still, let's approach this humbly. So with that as a bit of a backdrop, the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning are from Luke. And I'm going to read verse 5 to verse 25. So this is a longer section than we would um, normally tackle um, on a Sunday morning, but um, we'll move through it fairly quickly. But if you have a Bible, Luke 1, verse 5 to 25, the verses will come up on the screens here beside me. Here's what it has to say. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. I'm just going to pause here. When we read that, both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What we mustn't do as we read that is we mustn't read that as the Bible saying, they were perfect. The Bible's not saying here that they were Christ-like. What this is is a a comparison to all of Israel, a comparison to the culture at the time. The culture had so drifted away from God, but there were two, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were different. They loved God. They had hearts that longed after God. And God in his grace, looking at them, seeing them as righteous and seeing them as blameless. Now, this is Zechariah. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him 
an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great among... Sorry, I've lost my place. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's huge. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's set some of the scene here. We have Zechariah, he's a priest. Some scholars would estimate that at that time, there were as many as 14,000 priests in Israel. Now, according to the law, priests had to be selected to go into the temple. We can kind of think of that at that time as God's home. It's where the glory of God dwelled. And they needed to select priests. And the way that they selected priests was by casting lots. It kind of looked in, in our eyes kind of at random. But God was sovereign over that. And priests were selected to go into the temple and to burn incense before the presence of the Lord, a pleasing aroma before God. 14,000 priests, some would estimate. And Zechariah's number gets called. I mean, this would have been the highlight of his career, would have been the absolute highlight of his time serving as a priest. And so he gets ready to go. But as a man being ready to go and to do this, to to kind of fulfill his his priestly duty before God on behalf of the people, lots of things, no doubt, going through his mind. He's probably thinking about his entire career. He's probably thinking about his time as a priest. He's probably also thinking about the ways in which his wife, Elizabeth, supported him throughout his training as a priest, throughout his time serving as a priest. And he's probably also thinking about the amount of times that he and his wife prayed, God, would you give us a child? And at this point, they're old in their age, they're, they're, they're advanced in their years, and they do not have a child. And in goes Zechariah, he goes into the temple. And while he's there, this incredible thing happens. He's there, he's preparing the incense, he's, he's getting ready to burn before the Lord, and then an angel appears. And when this angel appears, what the angel says to Zechariah is not in reference to the prayers that Zechariah would have been praying at the time, because his role as a priest was to go in and to pray on behalf of the nation of Israel. 
His role was to go in and to be praying for all of the people. And he would have known that. He would have known that deep down. He's like, man, this, this is a big day. You only get to do this once. I need to do this well. I need to do this right. And he's going in and he knows that part of his role while he is there is to offer, offer prayers on behalf of all the people. That's why the people are all outside praying. He is like, he's their representative in there before God. They're not all able to enter in, but he, because he's chosen in that moment, he is able to go and able to enter in and to pray on behalf of the entire nation. And when he was in there, that's what he would have been praying in line with. However, what is said to him by this angel is different than the prayer life in that moment, at least, that Zechariah would have been going in praying, the things that he would have been going in praying. Verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Oh, that's, that's good. Prayer, prayer for the nations, pray for all the people outside, pray for, pray for my nation that is struggling right now under Rome's thumb and oppression and all this stuff that is going on. No, the angel says, For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. I mean, this is amazing. In that moment, Zechariah going in and, and, and thinking, I need to be praying for the nation. That needs to be first and foremost in my prayer life right now. But God says something else. It's like God's going, you know what? We, we, we can talk about that sometime. But right now, what I want to tell you is the prayer that I've heard and that I've remembered. And it has to do with this. It has to do with the very thing that you're not even praying for right now. And I'm answering it for you. And friends, that should really encourage us. Because I don't know about you, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you take time in prayer, whether it's in the church, we had our church uh, kind of family prayer meeting this morning, or you take time to pray with your life group or individually, no doubt all around this room, we would have stories of people that have prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something. And it doesn't seem to happen. It doesn't seem to come through. And then at another stage of life, many years later perhaps, we find ourselves praying into something else, praying about something else, but this story shows us that God has not forgotten. He has not forgotten. Not only that, but Zechariah's name actually means Jehovah remembers. I mean, Zechariah should have known this himself. He should have known this deep down. Should have known, well, surely, yeah, God, God, even if I prayed that a long time ago, even if I'm here in, in the temple praying something different right now, still God remembers what I and what my wife have, have brought before him. God, please, would you give us a child? Church, let, let that encourage us this morning. What's the thing that you've been praying for weeks ago, months ago, years ago? I mean, listen, with Zachariah and Elizabeth, this was like a many-year thing like a many, many year thing. They're now old in age. They would have been praying for this for a long time. And there Zechariah is, and this angel appears. Oh, well, is it my prayers about the people, my prayers about the nation? No, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been remembered. You and your wife will have a child. Now that is incredible news. I mean, that is amazing news in itself. And, and this is not the first story of this in the Bible that we read about. I don't have time right now, but if you, if you go back and you read even in Genesis, it, it's like, in some ways, the whole book even starts that way. Of a couple who are advanced in, in years, advanced in age, and God speaks through another messenger. God speaks, and it's like, no, surely not. Surely not. It's like history, in so many ways, is repeating itself again. 
But tragically, in the case of Abraham and Sarah, where Sarah laughed, she's kind of in the tent, she's in the, in the corner, she laughs when she hears that she's going to have a child. In this case, it's not the wife. In this case, it's the husband. In this case, it's Zechariah. And he questions it. Well, sure, how, how is this even going to be possible? Luke one eighteen. that's what he says. He says, how shall I know this from an old man? My wife is advanced in years. How will I know this? Zechariah, uh, God remembers. How about the fact that an angel of God has appeared to you and has told you this? That, that's that's got to carry some weight. That's got to carry something. <laughs> As I've been thinking this through, I realize there's so much of like, there's so much of Zechariah in me. There's so much of Zechariah in us. Like how many times have, have you, how many times have I, in my life gone, God, if you would just give me a sign, if you would just show me, if you would just show me the way, then clearly I would know what to do. Clearly I would know your voice. Clearly I would know the direction that you have for me. Just give me a sign. An angel of God (laughs) appeared to Zechariah in the temple, okay? And not just any angel. We're going to get to that in a minute. All right? The way that the Bible speaks about angels and angels appearing is very different than the way that angels appear on our postcards and on our fridge magnets and at the Christian bookstore. That is an entirely different thing. That's a lot of harps. That's a lot of fluffy clouds. Angels in the Bible do not look like that. Okay? When you see an angel in the Bible, you fall. Like you, you are down on your face. And we read that even here that he was very afraid. He was terrified. He was greatly troubled. Our translation says that that that's our translators trying to help us out a bit, but I think they could have pressed it a little bit more. He he was really, really, he was freaking out. There is an angel there telling him these things. Still, how does he respond? Oh, just how do I know? How can I know that this is of God? There's so much Zachariah in me. There's so much Zachariah in you at times. God, just show me, just show me clearly. Give me a sign. Yet scripture, as we look throughout it, when people ask that of God in a way that's just lacking in faith, in a way that is, well, God, how do, how do I know? How do I know? Show me, give me a sign. So often God goes, I'm not going to jump through your hoops. I refuse to do it. People that were speaking to Jesus, and he was telling them, about what was to come and what was going to happen. And they wanted him to give a sign of his, his authority. They wanted to give a sign of who he was. Jesus responded saying, I'm not going to give them a sign. This wicked generation always asks for a sign. The only sign that will be given to them is the sign of Jonah. What? Sign of Jonah? Like the guy in Sunday school class who gets eaten by a fish and spit up? Like what sign is that? Jesus is pointing forward to when Jesus himself, when he would die on the cross and when he would be in the tomb for three days. Jonah is only but a picture of Christ. And he's saying, the sign that will be given to them about who I am, my authority, my power, my might, is the cross. That's the sign. I'm going to be put to death, I will be dead, and I will come back to life. If that, friends, church, listen to me. If that sign is not a sign enough, what is going to be? What is going to be? The cross, the empty tomb. Friends, this must be enough for us. Now, don't hear this as me saying, so we should we never pray for direction from God? 
We should never pray that God would kind of reveal what it is, you know, that he wants and speak to us. There's nothing wrong with that, but we must be careful what the posture of our heart is as we do it. It could be that God is already speaking to you. It could be that God has already shown you, but for whatever reason it may be, you've, you've just not had ears that want to hear it right now. Or maybe it's a thing that you don't want to hear. Maybe God's saying, wait. And I imagine with Zechariah that that was the case for a very long time. And for Elizabeth. God, give us a child. Give us a child. We want a child. Was that unanswered prayer for all of those years? Well, no. It wasn't unanswered prayer. It was an answer that they just didn't want. And there's a difference. God's saying, wait. My son, my daughter, wait. Trust me. Trust me. You can trust me. Wait. Zechariah, Jehovah remembers. Zechariah, I remember. I have not forgotten you. My son, my precious son, wait, wait. You can trust me. There's something that you've been longing after God for, something that you've been asking him for time and time and time again. Are you open to the possibility that God in his infinite knowledge and wisdom and unending grace and compassion and love towards you is saying to you, my son or my daughter, I do hear you, but wait, wait. I have a better way. I have a better thing. I have better for you. You can trust me. Zechariah doesn't respond initially that way. He doesn't hear this from the angel and think, oh, wow, this, what incredible news. This is amazing that God would send an angel and, whoa, that he would speak this. Nope. Zechariah, verse 18, said to the angel, how shall I know this from an old man? And my wife is advanced in years. How will I know this? How will I know? And Gabriel's answer is one of my favorite things in the entire Bible. (laughs) I love this. How will I know I am Gabriel? (laughs) I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. (laughs) Like... Isaiah 6, this vision that Isaiah has of, 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 of these angels flying around the throne room of God, and he describes them as a seraphim. It's this type of angel. He's got six wings. With two, they covered the feet, Isaiah says. They covered their feet. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they flew. I remember living back in the UK, and uh, they have something there on uh, the 5th of November called Guy Fox Night. Many of you know what I'm speaking about, V for Vendetta. It's kind of all about that. And I remember going in Lewis outside of Brighton to, to a bonfire. When I was a kid, I went to Boy Scouts bonfires. I, until I moved to England, I had never been to a bonfire. I mean, they go nuts. They get every pallet of wood in the entire country and put it in a field in Lewis and pour gasoline over all of it in like the most health and safety nation in the entire world. And, and, and it burns. It is absolutely insane. And I remember going there one year with Natalia, the whole experience, which is very peculiar to me. But anyway, for some strange reason, we're there in the front row and they've got it roped off and you see somebody go in and they light this little spark and you see this little ember kind of starting to glow, right? And then it gets a bit bigger and it gets a bit bigger and it gets a bit bigger and you're watching and you're still in conversations with people around you. You're still chatting with others. I remember I'm there, I'm chatting with Natalia, I'm chatting with friends that we went there with. But out of the corner of your eye, you're watching this fire getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are thousands of people there and they're all chatting, they're all having a great time. But as the fire gets bigger, the crowd gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And suddenly, 
There's this time where you look around, if you turn your corner, turn over your shoulder to look at the crowd, the entire crowd is fixated on this fire and it is roaring and it is loud and it is hot. And I remember standing there thinking, like I, I had my hands in front of my face, shielding my face from the heat. It was that intense. And I remember in that moment thinking, I feel like I get it. I feel like I get something about Isaiah 6. I feel like I get something about for those angels flying around the throne room of God, the glory admitting from the throne of the Lord. With two, they shielded their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. But Gabriel's different because Gabriel stands in the presence of the Lord. There's something different about this angel. Gabriel, a special, I mean, any angel would be a special messenger, but this is a special messenger sent by God. How will I know? I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. But because you've not believed, you're not going to be able to speak until these things come to pass. It's a strange twist in this story, isn't it? We would expect the priest, we would expect, well, surely he he was just described as righteous, as blameless. Surely he should be the one who gets what he wants. He's done all of the right things. Yet still there he is at that time of of his life, still with prayers not answered the way that he wants. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it can be so easy for us to think, if I keep all of the rules Surely, if God declares me in my own good works, in myself, as a good Christian, if I can prove to God that I am righteous and I am blameless, then God will give me what I want. The Christmas story tells us that that clearly is not the case. God chooses to pour blessing out, and whatever that blessing might look like, on those that he chooses because he chooses to do it. It doesn't always fit our framework It doesn't always fit our own kind of list of like, surely if I do all these things, if I tick all of these boxes, then it will work. But we actually see here with Zechariah just um, in that moment how faithless he was, how untrusting of God he was. And the angel answers him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news As I said, Gabriel then says, and because you've not believed, you are not going to be able to speak. Imagine that. It's as though God is saying to to Zechariah, whose name means the Lord remembers, and he sends an angel named Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength. Like God has built things into this story, surely where Zechariah is like, if God has spoken this, then this will come to be. But in making him mute, In making him unable to speak, some scholars think that would have included being unable to hear as well. We don't know for certain. The point is this. God forced him into a position where he had to consider whether or not he was going to trust God. He brought him to that place. Is it a correction? Is it a rebuke? Absolutely. Like, like if you've come here this morning thinking that that we worship a God who is never interested in correcting us, I, I hate to say it, you're wrong. He's a good father. He's a good father. He corrects his children and he always does it for their good. Always. 
Except the difference, well, many differences between him and me and other fathers in this room is that he does it perfectly. He never goes too far. He never does it too little. He always does it exactly how it needs to be done. And that's what he does with Zechariah. He corrects him. He rebukes him. And Zechariah is brought to this place where he has to consider the things of God and the faithfulness of God. Friend, are you open this morning to the idea that at times in your life, or perhaps even right now, God in his fathering of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the things may be swirling around in your life, there may be trial, there may be hardship in your life, that actually God has caused in your life to correct you? Don't hear that said in our Christian culture too much. But this book teaches it, and we mustn't be afraid of it. Because even for right now, those that are struggling with that thought, you're struggling with it because of the lens of human experience, the lens of abuse, the lens of power and of strength gone wrong. God's power, God's strength, God's fathering has never gone wrong. It has never been abused. He does it perfectly. And he does it for your good. He did it for Zachariah's good. Zachariah is quiet He's forced to be quiet until his son, John, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, John who would come preparing the way for Jesus. And something happens in Zechariah over that time. And I'm not going to be teaching from it this morning, but hopefully later in our series we're going to look at the words that Zechariah speaks when his tongue is loosened. And it's incredible. (laughs) And you can tell God has done something here. God's correction of him, God's rebuke of him is not wasted. It's for his good. In fact, it's so for his good that it gets written about in the Bible and now it's for our good as well. Now, I focused a lot on Zechariah and on the angel Gabriel, someone I've not spoken about much as of yet because she doesn't appear a great deal in these first verses or at least the verses that we're looking at this morning, but that is Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. She was old in age. And in that culture, to be old in age and to not have a child was deeply embarrassing, humiliating, people making fun of her. Not only that, but people assuming that she, remember, this, this is in a Jewish nation. This is in a, a nation that believes in God. Often what would have been thought of Elizabeth is that she had done something wrong and that God was trying to punish her. That's why she doesn't have a child. The thinking would have been, she doesn't deserve a child. This would have been so hard for her, and that's why we have it written in here that they were righteous and that they were blameless. Luke is wanting to make it very clear on inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the reason they did not have a child was not because God was wanting to withhold anything in them because of sin. That was not the case. It's because God was saying, wait, not yet. I have a better way. But this would have been deeply humiliating for her. In that culture, it would have been absolutely brutal. It would have been brutal for Zechariah as well because the family name, the family line without a child would have stopped. And culturally, we think of it a lot differently these, these days. We don't think too much of it. But in that culture, it would, have been, it would have been massive. So much of their identity would have been wrapped up in this. And then as we get towards the end of these verses, of verse 25... When Elizabeth does speak, this is what she says. Thus the Lord has done for me. This is after she becomes pregnant. After what God says through Gabriel will happen, happens. She says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
to take away my reproach. This child that has been given to me, that will be born of me, because God has done this, my reproach, the the judgment that I carry from people, the sneers that people give me, the whispering as I walk through the market when, I, when they see me and they, they gossip about me and I see them, I can hear their whispers. All of that judgment, because God has given me this child, it is lifted off of me and I'm free and I'm liberated because God has given me this blessing, because God has given me this child, this reproach, this judgment, lifted, gone, I'm free, she's saying. Elizabeth has no idea how true these words are. But not because the child given to her that they were to name John, the cousin of Jesus. Not because the birth of that child would lift her reproach among people, would lift the judgment that she felt among people. But because her son would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Who her own son, John, would speak of saying, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. What's being said in that? Elizabeth, it's not judgment and reproach from people that is ultimate. It's judgment and reproach from God. And the child that is being born of you is going to prepare the way for the one who for those who place their faith in him will lift the judgment of God off of them and put it on himself. The gospel is glorious. Oh, come let us adore him. I've hardly spoken about Mary. We're going to get into that soon. We've spoken about other parts of the story, but already we see this pointer ahead to this one that we have great reason to adore. Because as painful as the judgments and the reproach of others around us in our culture, maybe in our families, maybe in our workplace can be, what ultimately matters is whether the judgment that you deserve and that I deserve before God will be placed on us or if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ was placed on Jesus on the cross. Praise God that in his infinite grace, he's made a way, he's given his absolute best. This messenger, Gabriel, he shows up again, doesn't he? A lot of you know how the story continues. Speaking to Mary, praise, like, church, praise God for Christmas. This changes everything. This changes everything. Let's let the Christmas story impact us and wash over us this holiday season. Christians in the room, let's not just go through the motions this Christmas. Who cares? Let's let the gospel impact us. Let's humbly approach this story and the truth of this story with adoration of this Christ. Adoration of the one that Elizabeth's son would prepare the way for. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Amen.